Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope you do, open them up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, which follows right after Hebrews chapter 11, very conveniently. In fact, remember that when the scriptures were originally written, there were no chapter divisions. There were no verse divisions. And so, in fact, Hebrews 11 flows right into Hebrews 12 in the train of thought of the writer to the Hebrews. Hebrews 11, which some call the roll call of faith, others refer to it as the hall of fame of faith, Hebrews 11 starts with an explanation of what faith is and what faith achieves. So turn one page back to Hebrews 11, and you can see that verse 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This tells us that faith is a supernatural assurance. It is a supernatural conviction of that which is promised but not yet seen. If you see it, you don't need faith. Verse 2 tells us that it is through such faith that the people of God have received their commendation from both God and man. They are commended by God for living by faith. And they are remembered by us as living by faith and finishing their race well. Living their lives in such a way that they set an example for us. And all of this was done by faith, which is repeated over and over and over and over again in this account. In Hebrews chapter 11, by faith is mentioned 17 times. I think the author wants us to get the idea that it's by faith. Look at verse 17 with me. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. Verse 32, And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, 
quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockings and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had promised something, provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. All of this was done by faith. Each of these ones listed here, whether named or unnamed, finished the race that they had been given to the glory of God. And they did so by faith, resulting in God being glorified. And they have now all received their reward. In our text for today, we're called to follow their example. We're called to run the race that is set before us in such a manner that we too glorify God in the process and we too finish well through faith in Jesus who is the founder and perfecter of our faith and our greatest example of finishing well. So I'd like you to stand if you're able for the reading of our text. I'm going to be reading Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3. This is what God's word says to us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. In our text for today, we will see laid out for us our calling, our instructions, our focus, and finally our goal, which is to finish well and receive our reward. First, our calling. We see this in verse 1. We are called to run with endurance the race that is set before us to complete the course that our Father has marked out for us and to glorify Him in the process. God has laid out a course for the lives of His adopted children, each one of us. 
places we are to go, things we are to do, people's lives we are to touch, and challenges that we are to endure. We do not know where this course may take us, except that we do know by faith that when we finally cross the finish line, we will be in heaven with all of those who have finished their race before us. This metaphor of life as a race was very common in ancient literature, and it is used by several of the New Testament writers. Interestingly, the word race here in the Greek is the word agon. And that is the root for our English word agony. And for those of us that aren't really good runners, running long distance is just that, isn't it? Agony. So this is no short race that the author to the Hebrews is talking about. This is no sprint. This is the long race, the marathon, with some added hurdles and obstacles thrown in for us in order that we might trust God and glorify Him even more. Now, a race is not a casual affair. It is not a passive occurrence. It is demanding, sometimes grueling or agonizing, and thus requires our utmost in discipline, determination, and endurance. We are called here to run this race or live our lives with endurance, a steady determination to keep on going even when the going gets tough and everything within us wants to slow down or even stop. The Apostle Paul, in writing about this, put it in this way. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and 25. Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. That you may obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. We are to run to win. We are to run the race in such a way that we receive the prize. Pastor John MacArthur, in his commentary, writes this, quote, Nothing makes less sense than to be in a race that you have little desire to win. Yet I believe that the lack of desire to win is a basic problem with many Christians. They are content to simply consider themselves to be saved and then just wait to go to heaven. But in the race which is the Christian's life, a lack of desire to win is unacceptable. Close quote. And I agree with Pastor John. It's not about simply breathing in and breathing out for the rest of our lives. It's about running the race that God has set 
for each one of us. It's about living our lives to his glory, to his praise. We are called to run, and we are called to run well. Our race is one of living for Christ, living to please and glorify him in all that we do. This race, it is a race of obedience, of service, of ministry, evangelism, discipleship, worshiping him, giving to him, and encouraging others to run their race as well. It is living to please and glorify the one who created us and recreated us in Christ so that we might run the race that he set before us, that we might obtain a good testimony before God and man. One of our encouragements to run well is the great cloud of witnesses witnesses to the power of faith who have gone before us. They all finished their race well, and they have received their reward, and they did so by faith, the same faith that has been given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all need encouragement at times especially when the going gets tough. We need to know that it is possible to finish the race and to finish well. And we find that encouragement in the pages of Scripture. We see how others before us ran the race in faith and by faith. They become our encouragement to press on towards the goal, to press on towards the finish line, knowing by faith That our prize awaits us. Our text also gives us instructions as to how we can run our race more effectively. Look back at verse 1 with me again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we're given instructions here. We are to lay aside two things that can greatly hinder our ability to live well or run well. Every weight or encumbrance and the sin which clings to us or entangles us, depending on your translation. So first, we are to lay aside every weight. Now, we know this weight is not sin, because we're going to deal with that in a moment. The Greek word for weight or hindrances can refer to excess body weight or to weighty or bulky garments. Now, think about that. Most of us know that long-distance runners train to make their body lean. And then they strip down to the minimum amount of clothing needed in order to shed any excess weight that would slow them down or impede their ability to run the distance. Likewise, we're being told here 
that we need to lay aside every weight or hindrance, every encumbrance, so that we can live out our lives for Christ as effectively as possible. Now note, as I mentioned before, these things that we are to lay aside are not sins. We are to lay those aside as well, but we'll talk about those in a minute. These things are the baggage that comes from the things of this world. Things that may be lawful, but are not helpful or profitable spiritually. There's a lot of those things in this world, amen? They may be lawful, but they don't necessarily help us to run the Christian race. Paul warns against such things in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. These things are like excess weight for the runner. What things distract us from focusing on living our lives to the glory of Christ? They are the things of this world, such as pursuit of wealth, worldly success, hobbies, entertainment, our own desires, dreams, goals, relationships, even family. Now, none of these things in themselves may be sinful, but they can become distractions from living our lives for Christ. As I said earlier, it's hard to finish a long-distance race carrying extra weight or by making frequent detours along the way. We need to ask our Lord to help us to see the things that are impeding us in living fully to the glory of God. What are the things that are getting in the way? And I believe if we ask the Lord, he will show us the things that we need to divest ourselves of, the things that we need to set aside or lay aside because they're just not spiritually profitable to us. So we need to set aside those things. But then he goes on to say that we need to lay aside sin which clings so closely to us. I really prefer the New American Standard there. It says, lay aside sin which easily entangles us. You probably know that in uh, the time when this was written, the, the men wore um, long tunics, okay? And in order to run in a tunic, you had to lift down and pull it up or else your feet would get tangled in it and boom, down you go, right? You may not know this, but in the original Olympics, the runners ran naked. That way there was nothing to impede them, no extra weight. That wouldn't go over so well today, I don't think, but the idea here is 
to set aside anything that can trip you up, that can cause you to become entangled. And listen to me. All sin is a hindrance to living to glorify God. There's no question about that. All sin will cling to us. All sin will entangle us. All sin will hinder us in running the race that our Lord has set before us. Therefore, we must be wise regarding dealing with sin in our lives. We need to be wise in seeking God's help to put off all sin. We don't just put it in the closet for later. We need to set it aside because all sin is a hindrance that can entangle us and even cause us to trip and to fall. Thanks be to God that even when we trip and fall, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's still no fun to trip and fall on your face, physically or spiritually. And so we need to set aside. And this is exactly what Paul encouraged us to do in his letter to the Romans. In chapter 6, verse 11, he writes this. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In verse 12, he continues, Let not sin therefore reign in your body to make you obey its passions. See, that's the problem with, with holding on to just a little bit of sin. We think we can keep it in check, but such is not the case. It will rise up, and it will trip us up. That's why we need to put it off as far as we can from ourselves. Lay it aside and not pick it up again. We have a race to run, and sin will weigh us down. The power of sin over us has been broken by Jesus, so we no longer need to give it place in our lives. Now, we're all sinners, and therefore we will not run perfectly. But the more sin we put off, the more our race will glorify Christ. This leads us to where our focus in the race needs to be. In verse 2, we're told that we should be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, here is the secret of the Christian life. The encouragement that we need for our faith, the secret that we need to fulfill our calling, it is looking to Jesus and none other looking to Jesus. In the Greek word here, it's a present active participle, meaning to fix your eyes upon Jesus. To look away from all else and to look at one thing, to look upon Christ. Now, obviously, we're talking about spiritually here. 
Are you doing this? Are you fixing your eyes upon Him? Are you looking to Him as the source of your faith, as your example of faith, and as your object of faith? We need to place our eyes not upon the things of this world, and certainly not upon ourselves, but upon Him who is the source of our spiritual life and strength. John Owen writes this, A constant view of the glory of Christ will revive our souls and cause our spiritual lives to flourish and thrive. He goes on to write, the more we behold the glory of Christ by faith, the more spiritual and heavenly will be the state of our souls. The reason why the spiritual life in our souls decays and withers is because we fill our minds with other things. But when the mind is filled with thoughts of Christ and His glory, these things are expelled and our spiritual life is revived. And I can testify to this, absolutely. Because there were periods in my early Christian life when I was not fixing my eyes upon Jesus. But I was fixing my eyes upon the things of this world. Far too much upon myself, my own desires, needs, wishes, etc. Once, but also fixing it on any number of things in this world which can be tremendous distractions to us. Don't watch too much news, folks. Do not. Yeah, almost anything is too much, right? Almost. Because the enemy wants us to take our eyes off of Jesus, off of the race that we've been called to run. And it's a race that leads to Him. So there are at least three ways here in our text that keeping our eyes upon Jesus will encourage us in our race. Let me mention these to you. Number one, Jesus is our example of faith. The writer says that He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. The word translated founder here can be translated as pioneer or forerunner. So it describes the one who goes ahead, the one who blazes the trail and overcomes the obstacles. Perfector connotates that he is the perfect example of faith, which indeed he is. Amen? Note that the focus here of our text is upon the ordeal of the cross where Jesus by faith in God the Father was put to the greatest test and his faith was given its most brilliant display. Jesus trusted in God and endured both suffering and shame upon the cross physical suffering and the wrath of God that was due for our sins. And it was by faith that he endured the cross. 
finishing the race that had been set before him, enduring to the end and receiving his reward. That reward that Pastor Don mentioned earlier, the joy that was set before him. What joy? The joy of glorifying the Father. Of bringing glory to God. The joy of fulfilling the covenant of salvation. Completing the work that was foretold all the way back in Genesis 3.15. And of course, the joy of providing salvation from sin for all of those chosen by the Father for salvation. And look at where he is now, seated at the right hand of the throne of God because he ran his race with endurance to the end, leaving an example for us to follow. Should we desire to follow Jesus' example? Yes. Amen. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 2.21. He wrote these words. To this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. There is pain and suffering associated with running the race that God has set before us. There is no way around that. Jesus showed that reality to us. And we cannot avoid it. And we need to embrace that. That's part of the race. And that's why we need to fix our eyes on Him. Because He is our perfect example. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, writes this. Quote, the only thing that will ever get us moving along the path of self-denial and discipleship is fixing our eyes on Jesus and what He has done for us. Coming to love Him as a result and thus wanting to be with Him both now and always. Jesus is our perfect example of self-denial. He is the very image of cross-bearing. And it is for love of Him and a desire to be like Him that we will take up our cross and follow Him. We do so because we love Him. And we love Him because He first loved us and gave himself up for us. And so now he asks us to follow in that example and give ourselves up for him. And when we love him, and when we keep our eyes fixed on him, we will do so. We will give our lives up for him. Jesus is also the object of our faith. Jesus waits for us at the finish line. It is for him and to him that we run. We endure and we persevere because we want to join him and share the blessings of eternity with him. This is again why the cross is emphasized here. For it is the focus of our faith in him. At the cross we see his blood shed for our forgiveness. 
There we see the wrath of God due to us poured out upon him. And we find our eternal security there being credited with his righteousness. We rely upon his atoning work, his finished work for our salvation, and therefore we treasure the gospel in our heart. And we want to live to please and serve him in response to the price that he paid to love us. We want to know him. We want to be with him. We want to love him. So we fix our eyes on him as the object of our faith. And third, we fix our eyes upon Jesus because he is the source of our faith. Jesus is the founder of our faith. Not simply as an example for us, but also as the one who gives this faith to us. Amen? Jesus not only died in our place, he also rose again from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And from there, he gives the gift of saving faith through his spirit. He gives the gift of saving faith to all of those who can then believe and trust in him for their salvation. Our faith is a gift from God. And Jesus is the source of that gift. He's the source of saving faith. It is by faith that we believe in Christ. It is by faith that we are joined together with Christ. It is by faith that we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. By faith we run this race that has been set before us. We fix our eyes upon Jesus especially during the difficult times, knowing that he will sustain us and he will bring us all the way home to him. He is the source of our faith and he is the supplier of our faith. And the scripture tells us that throughout this life, this race, we can grow in grace and knowledge. We can grow in faith, exercising the gift that God has given to us. And he's given us the means to do so through the various means of grace given to us. What a blessing it is to know we are not running this race alone, but he is with us and his spirit dwells within us. So our focus needs to be looking to Jesus, setting our eyes upon him. It is vitally important for us to run this race and finish well. We cannot allow ourselves to fix our gaze upon the things of this world, which will prove to be distractions, which will slow us down or lead us off course. We must keep the finish line first and foremost in our thoughts, just as the Apostle Paul wrote that he did. The Apostle Paul wrote that he himself had to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus. Listen to what he wrote to the Philippians, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He writes, but one thing I do, 
Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was not going to allow himself to be distracted by the things of the past or the things going on in the world. He was going to keep pressing on towards the goal, finishing the race, winning the prize, which is eternity with Christ and all of the rewards that come. Christ has won the victory for us. But you and I have to run a race, and we're to run it with endurance. And that includes any necessary suffering for Christ. Therefore, we must lay aside every hindrance and sin that entangles us and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is our example, our source, and the object of our faith. Jesus is the prize that we are running towards and who is waiting for us when our race is complete, and who gives us everything we need for life and godliness to run this race. But we must avail ourselves of the means of grace that God has provided. So our calling is to run the race that is set before us. Our instructions lay aside every hindrance and sin. Our focus is to be upon our risen Savior and Lord. And last, our goal. Our goal is to run well and to finish well, glorifying Christ in the process by not growing weary or faint-hearted, by pressing on towards that goal of becoming more and more like Him. As we run this race, we remember Jesus who went before us, who endured far more than we ever will. We remember that He did that to glorify God by providing salvation for us. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus did not run his race and finish well for himself, but for us. Now he has passed the baton to us. He has made it possible for us to live for him to the glory of God the Father. He has caused us to be born again. He has placed his own spirit within us. He has given us the roadmap and instructions for our race in his holy word. He has surrounded us with a great cloud of witnesses to inspire us. And he has placed us within a family of other runners who will encourage and help us through our race. Jesus wants you and I to run well and to finish well. And he has supplied all that we need to do so. So, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All the while, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Jesus. 
and running for him and to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.